to another episode of the kaiju transmissions podcast i am your host matt parmley i am joined by my awesome co-host kyle bird hi kyle hello uh and today is also part of uh octombre tomtober i don't know we are joined by mr tom aka jelly how's it going tom it's going well i'm pumped to be here for another edition of whatever it's called but spooky yes. transmissions. Woo. <laughs> is it spooky or spoopy? Are those one the same? I don't I don't understand the lingo now. Do you, is that gonna be the joke in front of every episode? Yes. Hey, uh, spoopy, yes. Spooky spook, all of them. Spooky? Listen, I don't remember <laughs> yesterday, let alone what we talked about like last recording. So please a little a little Trev, Trev very specifically pointed out that the exact same joke was made last year. <laughs> well, it's going to be made 12 more times. Uh, well, tonight we're talking about The Green Slime, 1968, directed by... Green Slime! <laughs> I'm so glad Tom is on for that, because I think you're going to hear him say that probably, like, four more times. Um, directed by Kenji Fukusaku, and it's actually a co-production between MGM, Toei, and Ram Films. What can it be? What is the reason... Uh, is this the end that all that bre- of all that breathes? Is it something in your head? Will you believe it when you're dead? Green slime. Green slime. Green slime. Um, that's where you were supposed to, like, jump in and sing to us. Oh. That's where I was supposed to do it. <laughs> uh, so, like, who was Ram? Green slime! Uh, apparently Ram Films was a small production company ran by producers William Manley and Ivan Rayner, um, often with the assistance, assistance from William Ross, who ran Frontier Enterprises. Frontier Enterprises did the dubs for Godzilla vs. Sea Monster, Son of Godzilla, and others. Um, and the storyline actually originates with an Italian film series that MGM co-produced called Gamma One. So these were four low-budget space adventure films directed by Anthony uh, Margaretti. Margariti? Margaretti, I don't know. Um, Antonio Margaretti. <laughs> uh, the four movies would share characters as well as the central space station Gamma 1. They were actually intended for TV, but they did not, or, but they got, uh, they did get released theatrically. Uh, Jeez, please can't talk. They got released in theaters in some countries. There we go. <laughs> Uh, so we have the four films are The Wild Wild Planet, 
War of the Planets, War Between the Planets, and the Snow Devils. That's a weird fourth title compared to the other three. And then you also have them all being released in 1966. Anyone here watch any Gamma 1? Maybe? Hey, I, 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 I feel have. like I've recently seen a film by Antonio Margheriti. Well, he, oh, he, well, I mean, he's done a crap ton of stuff. Spaghetti Western. Yeah, and I can't remember... And... I can't remember what movie it was. It was. It was. I, I think it was more of a more more of a spaghetti western type of thing than a. So. Yeah, I I can't remember. I I've watched. Oh, it was a. So the movie was, and God said to Cain, which is like um. It's a mix of like gothic horror and spaghetti western. It's it's a pretty fun movie, honestly. About like a guy who gets out of prison after being wrongfully imprisoned and then goes and gets revenge. Okay. By the way, the 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 scene from Inglorious Bastards that you were uh, <laughs> quoting um, very colorfully was that that is a reference to that director. Quentin Tarantino is like a big fan of his, I guess. Yeah, he, uh, he made it a pizza. Is that? <laughs> yeah. He uh, he made Cannibal Apocalypse, um, which is the movie of his that I've I'm more familiar with. But we're not talking about him. Uh, we're talking about the Green Slime. <clears throat> um, anyway, so um, the 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 Ram films. Producers uh, Ivan Reiner and uh, Walter Manley wanted to make a fifth movie, um, and uh, um, Reiner or Reiner, uh, I just think Rob Reiner. Um, <laughs> I kept thinking of Ivan Reitman too. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he had written a, a, a story. Um, this is where the, uh, the history of this is, is, there's like a missing piece here. Um, you know, again, 60s cult movies, uh, aren't always the most well-documented productions. Um, uh, anyway, a uh, question mark happens and, uh, the, 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 they, they don't do another movie in Italy. Um, so, uh. Eventually, uh, the production somehow gets moved to Japan. Uh, the script would lose, uh, if there were any, any Gamma 1 series connections. Um, and uh, this, and, and they, uh, the, the space station in the Green Slime is called Gamma 3. See what they did there? Um, no, I don't. <laughs> Gamma 2. Why is, it, why is it not 2? I know, right? <laughs> I don't know. um anyway uh so mgm moves the the production to japan um toei uh uh would get involved and toei would provide uh an all japanese crew um while mgm would fund the movie um the script was written by tom rowe charles sinclair and most notably bill finger no disrespect to the other two guys but uh uh, I don't know anything they <laughs> have done, <laughs> whereas Bill Finger. Um, unfortunately, uh, the, there's a lot of people that maybe are just now recently 
knowing the name Bill Finger um, from seeing uh, his name in credits for um, a lot of Batman-related properties. Um, the reason for that is because uh, this man um, co-created Batman. Is an asshole. <laughs> yes, <laughs> co-created <laughs> Batman, uh, quote unquote, with Bob Kane. Um, Basically, Bob Kane had a, a character called the Batman that was uh, kind of, if you imagine, like, Zorro with wings, you know, with the whip and the, the you know. And also red tights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the, the domino mask. Um, and Bill Finger was like, why don't we not do that? <laughs> and how about there's this character, uh, he can be called Batman, whatever, uh, but he wears a bat cowl. Um, uh, he's a he's a detective. Um, his alter ego is this guy Bruce Wayne. You know, got his his parents got murdered. He also like he he he's a he he poses as like a playboy as a front. Um, he's got the uh, bat a bat cave with all his gadgets. He's got Batmobile. Um, so if if you look at his contributions compared to Bob Kane's, uh, what we know as Batman is, um, (laughs) yes, mostly Bill Finger. Um, there's a, there's actually a pretty good, uh, a pretty good meme. That's like, I feel like is what has really maybe sadly surged the, the knowledge of who Bill Finger is. And it, it very succinctly puts it, you know, where, it has like, it's just like a joke artist illustration or whatever, and it's like Bill Finger and Bob Kane co-creating Batman, and it's like, it's it's uh it's Kane with you know the little the little thought bubble over his head of a dude in red tights with wings, and he and out loud he's saying Batman, and then Bill Finger like in his head is basically everything that you know that Batman is except for the name Batman. <laughs> uh yeah. That's pretty accurate. Um, uh, yeah, Bob Kane. I mean, he 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 really he was more of an editor, but he really kind of took credit for people's scripts, their art, um, constantly. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, un- unfortunately, uh, Bill Finger was never recognized officially as um you know the creator of batman if you look at anything batman um up until a few years ago it was always batman or you know based on characters created by bob kane um and uh yeah bill finger died uh basically penniless and uh broke uh it's a very sad story um there's a there is a good documentary about this though and and about Bill Finger that uh people can check out um but yeah it wasn't until a few years ago that um I don't know his his estate or whatever finally came to some kind of settlement with DC and Bob Kane's estate or whatever so now um uh the credit says you know Batman created by or based on characters created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. So even that, even 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 the the what they settled on is still like weird. Like, you know, it, 
it, it it doesn't say Ninja Turtles created by Laird with Eastman, you know, it, <laughs> like so it's it, it it's still weird. Um, I mean, at least his name is is there now. Um, but anyway, no, Bill Finger. I mean, he he would also um, co-create uh, a bunch of the villains, like uh, the Joker um, with Jerry Robinson. Uh, co-created the Joker with him, um, but also the Riddler, the Penguin, Two Face, as well as Green Lantern. Um, so uh, you know, he he created Green Lantern as well. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the Green Slime uh, would be directed by Kinji Fukasaku, who. Uh, <clears throat> was kind of uh you know Toei's star director legendary director we've talked about him many times i mean uh um virus uh, yes he did a whole episode on that yep yeah he he did uh tora 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 he like uh, helped co-direct that right yeah um also uh i mean a ton of uh iconic gangster films um uh, battles without honor and humility is a big one a lot of stuff with sonny chiba um like Son- of honor yeah yeah so- sonny chiba is like uh hit, like hit the de niro to his scorsese like the those guys just were always working together um and of course uh i think his most famous movie which is his last movie was battle royale um which uh is now in the pop culture lexicon again because of squid game being so huge um but yeah battle Ro- that like that what a hell of a way to go out you know i mean decades and decades of movies and that's your last film it's like that is uncommon um anyway back to the green slime um he he uh, he wasn't especially proud of this movie uh he he later considered it kind of an embarrassment <laughs> in his filmography um luckily uh it has a very large cult audience of morons like us who either grew up watching it on like TNT Monster Vision or the Sci-Fi Channel or whatever um uh anyway um the Japanese version is about 20 minutes shorter um, than the, the, uh, the version we all know. Um, some of the differences there, it, it cuts like the whole love triangle subplot, which I can, that just almost feels like an American producer's like notes, right? Like mm-hmm. you gotta have a love story here. And it's like, do we really? <laughs> um, so so uh so the Japanese version cuts that. It also has a different score. Um the Japanese score is by uh, Toshiaki uh Tsushima, um who did the music for the Magic Serpent. Um the American version was rescored by Charles Fox, um who uh has a lot of credits but nothing nothing super uh you know iconic. He did music for Movies like Barbarella, Repossessed, uh, Strange Brew. Um, he also uh, wrote the music for the theme song. Which, um, I, you talk to about the Green Slime to anyone that's seen it. I would say 95% of the time, people are going to bring up the theme song. Um... It seems like an accurate percentage. <laughs> uh, not enough horror movies seem content with just 
you know, sit down with your popcorn, your soda, and immediately hear this crazy, <laughs> like, jazzy rock, rock song. No, and the, and the whole doing a theme song, like, about the movie is... is you don't even hear it in like outros of movies anymore. You know, I mean, we were talking a bit offline, but like the monster squad has a song that plays you out. You know, Will Smith did a Freddy Krueger song that I think plays at the end of one of the movies. Um, you know, it'd just be awesome if you were sitting down to watch conjuring three or something, <laughs> you know, and it was like, um, I don't know, something, something, time for adjourning, because it's the conjuring, <laughs> you know, like, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Just don't tie your time, Tom, to, like, sing the song, please, whatever, whatever you do. Um, I mean, that could add a level to it, is the thing. Uh... <laughs> the, the, the guy that sings it, I, I forget his name, but he, he's, like, um... He was like big at the time because he was doing a lot of like surf rock stuff in the sixties. That was like all the rage. But uh, sounds <clears throat> right. Um, yeah, the 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 that theme song. Uh, and uh, it's in the trailer, but the the trailer is one of my favorite trailers too. It's it's just I don't know an announcer saying like typical 60s horror movie trailer stuff and he's always he's like the green slime and he says it like a hundred times um but yeah the 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 marketing for this movie in this country had a lot of um cool stuff i mean uh the poster is like i love the poster it's pretty that's, awesome yeah that's like one of my favorite posters for any like tokusatsu movie is is the green slime poster um but yeah i mean this is a movie that typically does come up when you just talk about b movies from the 60s so um yeah uh despite people who (laughs) made it maybe not thinking the the highest of it it has earned its place um and uh, so i've i've looked it up just briefly, and Rick Lancelot, also known as Ricky Lancelotti, is who sang on that song. He is best known for his work with Frank Zappa in 1973, and you can hear his voice on the albums Overnight Sensation, The Lost Episodes, and Lather. There you go. Uh, He also also did uncredited lead vocals on Hanna-Barbera's program The Banana Splits. Oh, so, okay. Uh, you guys should get um, what's his name? I can't think of it off the top of my head now. Uh, from Hanna Barbera, back on, <laughs> and and ask him about about Rick Lancelot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, we have we have a we have a, a cast of people that I don't know. I, I guess if you watch movies from this era, you'd know. You know, Robert Horton, Richard Jekyll, who. This is circa, yeah, this is the year before he did Latitude Zero. Um, Luciani, Luciana uh, Paluzzi, she was a Bond girl for, uh, which one was she in? 
I want to say Thunderball, but I also feel like that's no. Wrong. It's not Thunderball. It's uh. It, oh no! It is Thunderball. I'm sorry. Oh, it is yeah. okay. She's she plays a Spectre assassin. Okay, I okay, interesting. Uh, Robert Dunham, who uh, you you know, you know from Toho movies. He's the Megalon guy, and Mark Jackson from Dogra. Probably his. That's my favorite Robert Dunham uh, role. I think. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um. Uh, William Ross himself shows up in here. Um, he he was uh, one of those guys that was like a stock American character in a lot of Japanese movies. Um, I think he shows up in Destroy All Monsters and and some other ones. But uh, but yeah, he he also was involved in the in the dubbing and yeah, he was a producer on um uh uh with uh Ram Films too, I believe. But um. And also, I and I, I didn't look. I, I it was after this last rewatch that I read this. If I had known, I would have been watching. So next time I watch the Green Slime, I'm gonna keep my eyes peeled. Apparently, a young Roy Shader is in here somewhere. Yeah, I just saw that myself. Um, I'm assuming he's you know he's probably just a member of the ship's crew or something. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be keeping my eye out uh, for him. Um, there's a couple more names, uh, in front of and behind the camera, um, that, that we can talk about. Tom, do you want to, uh, yeah. give us the lowdown? So, so, yeah, like, like you mentioned, we have some familiar faces behind the camera, especially. We already mentioned Fukusaku and some of the musical people, but the special effects were directed by Akira Watanabe, who was the art director on a lot of Toho's 50s and 60s kaiju's movies, kaiju movies. Matt loves kaijus. <laughs> uh, he was he was also the designer though of monsters such as Godzilla. Ever heard of him? <laughs> Baragon, King Ghidorah, and others. And he directed the effects for Gappa. Which, whatever you want to say about Gappa as a movie, I think the effects in that movie are are really good. Mm-hmm. They're they're when the movie comes alive is because I watched that. Not that long ago. And when the movie really comes alive or during all the effect sequences, they're really, especially on the, the Blu-ray that got released recently where you can actually see what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Gappa Blu-ray is good. There's another Gappa connection coming up, right? Yeah. Um, you also you have a bit part by Linda Miller as a nurse. I in, spotted in, her. In the, Did you spot Linda Miller? In the infirmary, I wasn't looking for her. Yeah. So. If you are, she's pretty easy to find. She's like, I don't think she has any dialogue. You know, I mean, she screams and and stuff like that. But she's in a lot of scenes, like in the foreground or in the background of a lot of shots. Um, so if you're looking for her, she's pretty easy to spot. And then the slime monsters were played mostly by children. Somebody, somebody call the labor bureau <laughs> on that one. Uh, but, but notably, Masanori Machida, who played the baby Gappa in Gappa. No, actually, he oh, didn't no? play the Am baby Gappa. He's um, he's the kid in he's the kid in blackface in Gappa. <laughs> he's he, he's the much gappa worse, yeah worse, the gappa angry uh <laughs> the gappa angry uh kid 
It might have been preferable if he had played the the baby Kappa. No, it's 100% preferable. There's no might there. <laughs> this guy was in Kappa. What did he do? Well, he was in really horrific blackface. Um, oh. Is that like... I know, like, as kids, we're always like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to, like, be the guy in the monster suit and, like, like. And then you read one article about what it's actually like inside of that suit, and it sounds horrifying. <laughs> and then yeah, in this movie, like... they just crammed a bunch of kids into the suits. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I want, I know. Um, that sounds awful. Yeah, I, I know this guy, uh, he just came up again because he's in, um. The kaiju movie that uh, um, Ishii is doing right now. Um, okay. So he's out there and he's, you know, he's, he's grown up, obviously. But, but you know, since, since like, uh, you know, guys from, you know, guys that make those cameos and stuff in, in some of these, like, indie movies, like, they, it seems like a lot of those guys end up coming here for, like, conventions and stuff. So it would be... In, I, I hope someone can get him here for like G Fest or something because that would be a great question to ask. You, you, I mean, like we, we, you get this the perspective from suit actors all the time, but like, what's it like to be a kid in a monster suit? And like, were the suits like as abusive <laughs> as you know the stuff <laughs> Nakajima was wearing? Like, I'd really like to know. Is is the is the Ishii movie called uh, Yuzo? Yep, that's the biggest it. battle in history. Yep, yep. Or the biggest battle in Tokyo. Yeah, so he's in there somewhere. I'd love, I, I'd love to ask him. I don't care about being the blackface kid. I want to ask him about the green slime. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you want to uncover decades-old child abuse? <laughs> yeah, maybe it was. Good. The child abuse? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know, they, maybe the suit was made of lighter stuff. Maybe, you know, they had a guy on the side, you know, with a, a juice box that can like go through a, <laughs> like a, a hole in the, in the mouth or something, you know? <laughs> Someone's got, got like chicken nuggets they can feed him whenever he's hungry. Could have been kid heaven for all we know. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, who do I have? Oh, I have Matt. Matt, I have you listed at the top here to do the plot summary. Are you cool with that? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, the green slime. So basically, we have a group. There's a group of scientists that discover there's an there's an asteroid which uh, I guess is named Flora. Um, and this, of course, is on collision course with Earth. And so the space program summons the commander, Jack Rankin, um, who's a giant douchebag and is so the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's <laughs> the worst. He, go, he, he, get, he goes to Gamma 3. Um, you find out he's, like, basically retired. And, like, well, there's only one guy that can do this, but uh, he'd have to go and make and volunteer for it himself. And so he goes to, to Gamma 3, and basically he's um, meeting with his old buddy, Vince Elliott, and they've had a falling out of some kind, which you kind of learn has to do with a, a love interest that kind of bounces between them throughout the whole movie. 
but he goes to Gamma 3, he takes command of the ship. Um, they basically take a, a rocket out to land on the asteroid. When they land on the surface, um, you see these weird like little green blobs. And one of them manages to attach to a one of the scientists and, and kind of make it back with them. So they the plan is they're going to blow up the asteroid, save the planet. They manage to detonate the, these missiles on the rocket or on the asteroid. They come back and they go through this decontamination process. And unbeknownst to them, one of the little uh, green slimes has attached itself to a scientist. And it may or may not have been at the behest of uh, Mr. Jack Rankin's idiocy because he, one of the scientists had captured one successfully in like a, a glass tube. And Rankin says, no, we can't take that back. And he throws it on the ground and it, like it basically explodes. And I think that's the, the, yeah, the green like slime. Yeah, like splashes on the guy's uh, leg. Yeah, so then he is the reason why the green slime gets on the ship. Um, essentially what happens is we learn the green slime feed on energy. And so when they go through decontamination, the green slime begins to grow and then evolves into this like tentacle-like creature. Um, they feed on electricity, and so they also can emit electricity. So like one of the first cool death sequences is where a scientist like opens up this um, machine and immediately gets like electrocuted to death. And some of the... Um, Special effects in the deaths are actually fairly graphic, like people have burns and different things. Uh, then, essentially, what ends up happening is uh, Rankin and his buddy, uh, Vince Elliott, are able to, uh, they, they fight off all these different, the green slime, they keep mutating, they keep um, growing in number. So, you, like, by the end of the movie, there's, like, probably 50, 100, I don't know, they're all over the ship. They decide to abandon the spaceship, uh, basically, in order to blow it up. and. In the end, again, Mr. Rankin ends up killing his best friend over a woman and gives him an award for it posthumously. And that's the uh, the green slime. <laughs> uh, Matt is not a, a Rankin fan. I, I, you, sh- I mean, you shouldn't be. <laughs> is he, like, he might be like the worst protagonist and like the way that he treats um, everyone, Lisa Benson, which is like the... <laughs> The, the doctor, well, everyone, but like, he's like, you don't love him, you love me. We've been not together and haven't talked to, or haven't spoken to each other for like twelve years, but you still love me. I would imagine that even I haven't seen the Japanese version, but even with all that stuff cut out, uh, I he's probably I would imagine he's just as bad. Like he's just yes. he's the worst. He, he's like yeah. he's al- he always ends up being right. Except in the case where, like, the one mistake that he makes is he destroys the canister with the green slime in it, which is why they get back on the ship. Which, which I, is how well, it not even like well, I, I, a lot of people always tell him like things are bad ideas, and then he does them, and <laughs> he, then, doesn't, like, he, gets, he doesn't. He doesn't get any. Uh, he never gets any kind of <laughs> comeuppance. Like, there's also um, when they go like, through. He's the, the one. He's the first one to shoot. You know, they're like, oh, we got to capture it. We got to capture it so we can contain it, so we can study it. And he's like, no, let's just shoot it. And then all of its blood that he spills creates more, more green slime. <laughs> green well, also, when when they uh, get off the asteroid and they come back and they go through decontamination, he, he makes them go through it three times. And Richard Jekyll is like, you know, I, I don't know that our, you know, I don't know that we have enough energy or, or whatever to do this three times you know we we need to be conscious of you know we we we're running a whole space station here and he's like no just do it three times but then like (laughs) them them doing that 
uh, is like whatever whatever process they go through, that's what makes the the first like piece of slime that came in on that guy's clothes like that's what makes it grow to begin with and turn into like a tentacled monster. So he, he's just constantly like, oh, I'm the guy in charge now, and so I everything is the way I do it. Um, that's also a weird moment, though, when he's like, we have a whole space station to run. And I'm like, but, like, what are you doing that's more important than making sure <laughs> aliens didn't get aboard? Like, you were able to leave the whole space station to go blow up the asteroid to save the Earth, which, granted, that takes some priority. But, like, they never say what they're doing on this space station that's so important. I don't know what Gamma 3 is doing. Space stuff. He's like, <laughs> I, we can't devote all of our resources to this. I have other things to do. And I'm like, what? <laughs> important things. <laughs> well, Commander uh, Rankin, you know, he's like the really abusive boss that, that like, Never takes any sort of suggestions from anybody else. Uh, and then when it comes time for promotion, he kills the other person interviewing and then takes a job. That's how that... <laughs> it's like well, how that you, you com- compare him with Richard Jekyll's character. And, like, first of all, the whole reason he, like, hates him is, I guess, there was something they were doing and... Um, yeah, they, like, Vince R- Richard Elliott Jekyll makes... was... He was in charge... And he went back to save somebody, and in the process, because he tried to save that one person, um, something happened that got more people killed. And so, uh, so, so he thinks like he's inadequate to to lead or or whatever. But uh, um, I don't know. I feel like someone that did that would still like. I don't know. I feel like that that's still the kind of person that is at least You'd want like... as a leader because they have a conscience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You don't like being treated like a number that like, ah, we're only losing five people. It's fine. Yeah. It's, 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 like at least he, he did something that he thought was re- like, he seems like some, like, even though, yeah, it cost more in the end. Like that's still a, that's still something that shows like he has integrity and like a moral compass. <laughs> yeah, and you see, that. you know, you know, Jack, you know, Rankin's gonna be like a a dick right from the beginning when you first see him, and he's just he's constantly staring off into space, like thinking about how great he is. Like, <laughs> You think he's that's what's going through like his a, head when he's like staring he's off? He's like patting himself on the back and talking about yes. the hair looks. On that, that guy's like that one guy's like it would have to be someone who would volunteer, and this guy's like I'm the fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he and then he turns out, I guess I would have to be that volunteer, huh? And you're, and the guy's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when um. Yeah, when he gets onto the ship and he is like the temp, he's like the acting uh, guy in charge, you know, for for this. Uh, and even after like they they blow up the meteorite, like uh, Elliot, which is Richard Jekyll, he he's like, okay, like so, like 
you're done. Like, okay, guys, here, do that. And then, and then Rankin's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I'm still here. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and he's like, well, since I'm still here, I'm like still in charge. And he's like, I, fine, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he says something like, I don't. Did they tell him like he was in charge like for a certain amount of hours or something? I don't know. I, I just no, remember they, they, they it was very arbitrary. He's in charge until the mission is completed, and according to him, and the way he's reading the the orders, the mission is not completed until he until they're all like decontaminated and everything. <laughs> so he just insists on like staying, basically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the everyone's he, everyone's like okay, let's get you know everyone get back to work, and he's like no 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 I I'm I I gotta be the one that tells everyone what to do. Um, he's just the worst. Um, so uh, I think we I, we we should talk about the slime monsters. I think. Because they're I love awesome. Them. <laughs> <laughs> There's two people that would look at this movie and think, "Oh, haha, that's so bad and so stupid." And then there's people like me that would be like, "This is awesome." Like, I love the. I, I yeah, I get that they're like cartoony looking and kind of like goofy, but. They're so. I think that it's such a. From a monster designs viewpoint, I think that they're really like cool. They get a lot of from a, a lot of people talk shit about them, but like from a pure design standpoint, they're they're pretty creepy, right? Like they're these tentacly drippy. You know, they got eyes all over them, like. They've got one big eye, and then they've got all these tiny little eyes underneath that big eye. They shoot sparks out of them because they're electric. Like from a pure design standpoint, they're they're really cool and kind of creepy. And then you know, yeah, in motion they're a little a little hokey and a little camp, but I mean. It's also 1960, not even, you know, like the 80s or something, right? I mean, a lot of a lot of how they come off is because the movie has very like kind of prototypical 1960s sci-fi lighting and and set design and stuff and the, they're never they're never couched in shadows or anything. I think if that were done, they would come off as as kind of creepy there is some stuff early on where like you know you you see them in the shadows and stuff that actually is kind of effective um but uh i don't know it's one of those things that like as as a quote-unquote bad movie like the 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 thing that people rib on the most is is the monsters but um like when you really look at it I mean, I guess maybe, okay, for a feature film, okay, this is like, yeah, this is coming off of, like, 2001 and stuff. But, you know, there's a difference between a low-budget Japanese science fiction movie and 
Stanley Kubrick, you know? And when you look at stuff that was on TV, you know, that is accepted as just normal looking, I guess, like, um, you know, are, are these things really any, like, dumber looking than something that would show up on, like, Star Trek or Lost in Space or, like, I don't think so. We're going to laugh at an element of this movie. Can we laugh at the ridiculous helmets, the ridiculous battle helmets that they wear? Because <laughs> <laughs> those things are truly something else. I don't know how anyone spoke a line of dialogue without, while looking at a person wearing one of those things without just just breaking into tears of laughter <laughs> they almost look like something that like uh one of the, like the ultra man like teams yeah. would wear like Except the science worse. patrol or something because <laughs> <laughs> at least the science patrol teams would like add a visor or something that would just at least break up the how cheap it looks <laughs> That's true. They, they look like hard hats, basically. <laughs> I don't even know what... Yeah, they, they're... I don't know who designed these things, but, but it, it did not come off well. <laughs> Matt, what do you think of the monsters? Well, the monsters are cool. I, I really like Tom's observation about... like it, I, I think the set and the lighting especially kind of make it feel a bit more hokey but there there's a like under different circumstances that they could have been genuinely super creepy and the design's pretty awesome i mean like you don't see the, the fact that it's got like multiple eyes everywhere and like again some of the death sequences are pretty horrific like people are burning to death and stuff and their clothes are fraying and, and different things so like there's some really cool stuff associated with how they actually end up interacting with the like, the characters i think where they lose some of their efficacy is kind of later on where you just have like the mobs of them and because as we talked about apparently they were you know kids in these suits <laughs> they kind of all bump into each other and and so i think that sort of makes it again more hokey than what it could have been but i think the design is just freaking sweet yeah yeah if you look at these and are like these things are awesome you're on my team but if you're like oh it's so cheesy i mean it is but like that that, see, I guess that's the difference between me and other people is, like, that that's not a bad thing. Cheesy is not a bad thing. What if, like, yeah. Kenji Fukasaku was, was walking around on, like, after, you know, watching all these kids in these rubber suits bumping into each other, be like, God damn it! Just, <laughs> just walk in a straight line, <laughs> you little bastard! Yeah. I like how, uh... Kenji Fukasaku became like Dune Fukuda after this movie. He's like, I, I, I don't talk about that movie. I hate it. <laughs> um, effects wise, I, I, I think I think a lot of the effects are good. I think kind of like what Matt said, I think I don't I don't know that they're really lit as well as other things that you would see at the time. And I think that I think that might give off more of an illusion that they're worse than they are. But um, uh yeah, I mean, I think the miniatures are are pretty good. I think I think if there's a problem there, it's more with the lighting than it is the actual effects. Yeah, 
there's there's more of a problem with with the the execution and the effects direction, which you know this is Akira Watanabe. This is not he he's you know generally more of an art director and a and a creature design guy. He is not, you know, A.G. Subaraya right, knowing yeah. how to shoot things and, and make them look good to a camera. Yeah, he's 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 a rookie at that. <laughs> you know, he's a pro at other things, but I, I think the actual directing part, he's more of a, a rookie for sure. <clears throat> um. I want to point out the first 30 minutes of this is a better version of Armageddon than the actual movie Armageddon. Got <laughs> <laughs> wrong. Oh, I hate that movie. Uh, so it's not wrong. Um, and then uh, a lot of people have, have, have noticed that uh, a lot of the things are, are a little bit similar to things that we would later see in the Alien series. Um, so I'm not sure if that's something that Dan O'Bannon or <laughs> Ridley Scott had seen at some point, but, uh, um, but some of that seems like stuff that would happen in an alien movie. Like there's the part where they're trying to like trap the creatures in the different, um, compart, yeah. Yeah. Yep. in the different compartments and stuff. Um, that all, kinda... well, there's also just the, the general idea of, you know, you have to quarantine after you come into contact with them the first time and they like shouldn't be allowed back on the ship right away type of thing. I mean, and, you know, the 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 girl comes out to see them and he's like, get back inside. You know, I mean, that's a very that's that's like very alien, like that specific movie, you know, so. Mm. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that. Maybe Dan O'Bannon. One of those guys, I think, at some point admitted, like, to taking a lot from, um, you know, Mario Bava's Planet of the Vampires and um, It, the Terror from Beyond Space. So, I mean, you know, the green slime, like, it it notches right into that same kind of time period. So, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's one of those things that just, even if it's un you know, unconsciously, right, or subconsciously, you go, you see a movie, this is the B feature of a of a Saturday matinee or whatever, right, that that a Dan O'Bannon or Ridley Scott or one of them or many of them or all of them, whatever, goes and sees, right, when they're nine years old and it just it just kind of sticks in their back of their brain and, and without even realizing that they're pulling from that. They're just pulling from... They might even even pulling just from I saw a movie one time where I don't remember anything about it, but they had to do this thing. And you go, OK, that's a cool idea, you know. Yeah, I believe um, I believe Martin Scorsese hit, uh, mentioned the green slime before as a movie that he has a little bit of a soft spot for also, which <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> I love that I love that like the greatest living director arguably who makes like masterpieces like he's just like 
us and like just is dumb <laughs> and watches like <laughs> all these like old monster movies and stuff. I was looking at just today, coincidentally, I was looking at like Martin Scorsese's favorite British films of all time. Half of it is like hammer horror movies and stuff. <laughs> like... <laughs> like here he is, here he is, you know, meticulously saving bits of of script of movies Hitchcock never got to make and trying to make them in in the Hitchcockian style, you know, with his key to reserve a thing and he's he's handling these these script pages like they are actual pages from the the Bible as if like they were as if the Bible itself was written by Jesus and he's handling it, you know? And and then he's like, and, and then later I'm gonna go watch the green slime. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this movie. Uh, I think this is one that I don't know how it how it did here, but I definitely think this is one that like survived because of TV. Like even when I was a kid. I mean, now we're just going to kind of get into a little bit of, like, nostalgic, like, depressing, like, oh, this is how it used to be. But, like, even when I was a kid, you know, this is a movie that would show up in the middle of the day on Sci-Fi Channel or at midnight on TNT or or, or it would be on Monster Vision or something. Um, this movie's, what, 68? Yep, yep. Ah, oh, God, well... So if I was watching this on TV in like 1997, oh, that's like that's like the Jurassic Park two being shown now. Almost <sighs> shy a few years, but we're getting there. I guess is <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Or it would be like Batman Returns. Watching Batman Returns on now would be like me as a kid watching The Green Slime. I literally just existential crisis life flashing before my eyes. <laughs> so I don't know. So I guess, you know, yeah, if you turn on a TV, if you turn on like FX in the middle of the night, I guess you might see like Batman Returns or something. Boy, would you? I don't know. See, that's I watch everything on streaming now. So like I don't I don't channel surf anymore. But, you know, I mean, I feel like that's something I do. that might. I do because I, I okay. have a T I have. TV because I watch sports, and I mean, I guess I guess that's not why I have a TV. What's like <laughs> the oldest movie you would come across on like a a given day? See, you, well, you'll come across something either quite old that's like a classic classic, like not on it, a TCM it, or something. Well, no, and it and it doesn't have to be like a classic classic, but just like you know, like an undisputed champion of its genre like you'll come across an alien or an aliens right but you won't come across alien 3 ever <laughs> you know <laughs> you you'll come across um maybe the the first batman with nicholson but you will not ever see returns or forever you know like you get to see those. You get to see like the 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 high point classic kind of, and then the, those kind of middle. Like you'll see Jurassic Park, but you won't see the Lost World, except when they're doing like marathons. You know, I see Jurassic Park three like show up a lot. 
so it's just kind of a weird like this is that kind of movie that that would be like I, not a hit at all in theaters but like a mild thing that people remember that they would remember the marketing for because like you said it says green slime like a billion times in the trailer that has a memorable couple of pieces to it. Well, the poster, the theme song, and the trailer are like that's like a three punch. Like yeah, that would that would be it. enough to get people to flipping through the channel be like, oh yeah, I remember the green slime, and like sit and watch it. And there's there's movies that are out there that are like that that get made all the time in 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 today's world, but like you see them once and then you forget they ever exist. Mm -hmm. And, and then that's just that. Like, I think a really good example is like 2020s underwater. That would be a movie that, you know, 30, 40 years ago would survive on cable for years and years and years. And people would come back to it. Just surfing through TBS, TNT, monster vision, sci-fi channel, whatever. And it came out, and everyone was like, oh, that was pretty fun. And then just forgot it exists. It's kind of, I mean, I, I guess I, that's like, I kind of had to talk myself down, because, like, my point was getting into, like, it's too bad that movies like this aren't still on TV all the time. But it's like, yeah, I guess I'm just being old, and now they're being supplanted by movies from the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. Um so, I don't know. That's depressing. <laughs> I, there's a, I mean, there's a middle ground there, too, though, because not everybody has cable. And a lot of people do, you know, migrate to streaming services, which means you're essentially you're, you're at the Netflix of like whatever Netflix has is what you're going to watch, which means we have a whole generation of people that when they watch these movies, like. Th this stuff will get missed. The, mm -hmm. the new movies that come out like Green Slime are probably going to there, there's an audience for them. But it's not going to be the same way that it was where like Godzilla versus Megalon was circulating on every TV channel known to man at one point. And that's why so many people know it mm -hmm. for better yeah. or for worse. Like you're not going to I don't know that you're going to have that that kind of exposure now because of streaming. Yeah, um, that is one thing I like about uh, I like about HBO Max. They have a lot of old stuff. They actually might. Ha I haven't checked, but they might have the green slime because that was a title that they inherited from MGM and um uh, Warner Archive did a Blu-ray of it, which I don't have. I actually have the old Warner Archive DVD, and I gotta say, even like the print on the DVD that I have is really good. So I imagine the Blu-ray must look great. I have the Blu-ray. I think it looks good. I yeah. mean, it's a Warner Archive, so it's you know, it's never gonna blow your brains away, but it it looks good. Yeah. Um. I do not think it's on HBO Max. Um, although, you know, my my method for checking that is going to Google and clicking on the watch movie thing that comes up and it <laughs> yeah, says it's, it's on. I have I have HBO Max. It's not on there that I see. I just, okay. I wasn't scrolling through HBO Max at the moment, so uh, it's available for rent on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, and Vudu. But um, it's on. Uh, it's on. Was it? I was going like, to say, was it, was it Tarantino who said, you know, YouTube is your friend when yeah, trying yeah. to find old movies? Yeah. Like, There's yeah. so much crap on YouTube Well, right YouTube, now that, like, It's like YouTube is where, like, the stuff the studios either don't care enough to protect or they haven't done anything because they don't even know who owns it. Like, 
a lot of that stuff just goes onto YouTube <laughs> at this point, which is like if you can't find something on a streaming service, like check YouTube. That's what I do. It's like, okay, this isn't on Hulu or HBO Max or whatever. It's like, is it on YouTube? If it's something, like, obscure, like, chances are it's on YouTube. Might not be the best-looking copy, but it's usually on YouTube. Um, the Green Slime also uh, has its place in history as the very first episode of Mystery Science Theater, uh, meaning when they were on public access. Um so it's it's actually kind of a rough <laughs> a rough watch. Oh, those uh, those KTMA years. Yeah, yeah. It, it's actually kind of a, a rough watch. It's like they didn't quite have it down. Um, Tom Servo. Yeah, not I've in watched it. a few of those. I'm not I'm not as big of a fan of of MST3K as Trev. I I really like it. I have I have absolutely nothing against it, and I've watched all of the the newer stuff, and I watched a whole bunch of the stuff that was on Netflix. Remember when? when they were really trying to promote that it was coming to Netflix and they picked like 30 episodes or something and put them on Netflix. I watched like all of those. So, you know, I have familiarity with it, but I'm not as big of a fan. I tried to watch a few KTMAs cause you know, I'm the big dumb idiot who tries to watch everything at the beginning. And yeah, those are, those are rough. Those are, those are a hard watch. Um, also, uh, in 1979, I guess there, there was a board game called The Awful Green Things from Outer Space, which uh, was, quote unquote, <laughs> inspired by the green slime. Um, I mean, but if, if you do like an image search of it or something and look at like the box, it's like, OK, guys, <laughs> come on. <laughs> are you are you even trying to uh, <laughs> to hide? Uh, I guess uh i think they they might still make it actually yeah oh um anyway yeah they're, the they're next, not even for the next kaiju transmissions episode we're gonna have to all get a copy of the game <laughs> i would play it <laughs> <laughs> um then I, see this is what I'm talking about. Um I'm uh so apparently there's a, a convention in New Mexico called Bubonicon. Um and ever since 1976 they would give out the Green Slime Award for that year's worst in science fiction. Like come on. Oh, that's not. Ooh. Nah, that's There's far worse movies than that. Uh, yeah, I like yeah, it's see this is why like there's a difference between bad and cheesy. Cheesy can be bad, but not because it's cheesy. And cheesy well, is never, I mean, like, it should not be used as a bad term. That, that's what I was saying, like, after uh, Malignant came out, everyone's like, oh, this movie is so cheesy. And it's like, why is that bad? Stop saying that that's a bad thing. When I use the word cheesy, I usually mean it with affection. I don't even think Malignant qualifies. Well, a lot of people would disagree with you, and they would say that it's bad because it's cheesy. Malignant's like too well made to be cheesy. <laughs> well, the, even with this movie, I feel like all the performances are there. They seem to be having fun. Like there's there's not a there's not like moments in this movie where I was like, oh, that's just ter like terrible acting or anything like that. Like the people that are in it, like they have fine performances. Yeah, I, I, there's an there's an earnestness to it. Yeah, I, I, there's an there's an earnest, genuine quality to it. That 
that yes, it's it's cheesy, but that's not a bad thing. It's... Yeah, is the script silly? Sure, but like, I don't I don't know why that has to be such a a bad thing. Like, what's wrong with enjoying a silly sci-fi? Movie? Come across like it's not even like they're trying to be campy or anything on purpose. Like for the most part, it's kind of played straight, honestly. Yeah. And like you, you'll never convince me that uh, Robert Horton, who's Jack Rankin, like isn't an asshole in real life based on his performance in this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and and I mean the direction, like it's Kinji Fukasaku. I mean, even in 1968, the guy had decades of experience. Uh, like, um, and it, it would only be two years later that he would get recruited to to co-direct Tora Tora Tora, which is like one of the most famous and beloved <laughs> World War Two movies. Yeah. Like, so I mean, like, it, it's not like this. this Tora Tora Tora, by the way. Like, how... <laughs> what a what a change of pace. Oh well, Fukusaku was—he was a madman. I mean, that yeah. that filmography is insane. I mean, this is a guy that was basically making a movie a year. Almost every year, at least a movie a year, practically every year from 1961 to 2000, and you could say 2003 even because he did like I don't know a week or whatever yeah. on Battle yeah, yeah. Royal Two. So I mean, yeah. this is a guy that was did never he never slowed down. But but yeah, I mean, my my point is, I mean, the, these are the 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 actors, the crew, the director. These are all skilled and experienced people so if you're gonna be like oh well what went wrong i mean this is where i if 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 you're gonna like try and like you know look at a lot of those things in a negative light i would say you know it's probably comes down to the budgets it probably comes down to the shooting schedules um but i mean just about everyone that had a part in this movie is a talented artist or actor or something yeah i think like I think the biggest detractor from this movie, aside from what we talked about with maybe some of the lighting and, and the decision to have kids play the monsters, <laughs> is is going to be is going to be the the love triangle, which like again feels very much like a studio note, and it it feels pretty awkward and kind of thrust in there, and it's unsatisfying in the way that it gets resolved. Yeah, I but would like think, to see the in that it doesn't. Yeah, right. Well, well, right, exactly, but I mean like. I would like to out. see the Japanese version where they took that back out. Yeah, like, you, you take that out, and it's like, this is just a straight sci-fi movie where this, you know, idiot Jack Rankin kills his friend. Like, I mean, that's... <laughs> but even with... I mean, I'm giving him a hard time, but, like, there's a certain amount of charm that he has in playing the asshole. Like, you... It, it's kind of, like, fun to watch him as he's just being a jerk and seeing everybody react. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a fun movie, but I mean, I think there's some issues there where like, if you would have taken out the, the romantic subplot, which really goes nowhere. Like there's, yeah. there's a better movie in there. Uh, speaking well, yeah, of, I mean the whole ending, the whole ending of the movie works better without a love triangle than with it. The, the idea of him getting this guy killed and then deciding to sort of posthumously, give him the the citation or or whatever that like the whole that all of that worked way worse the way it's done with the love triangle yeah because the if you're gonna have this love triangle and absolutely 
Jack should not come out on the right side of this love triangle. <laughs> no. He should be the one who finally does the right thing, sacrifices himself, and dies. And then, you know, as our two lovers who who have been more or less faithful to each other kind of the whole time, as they embrace, they realize that, like, oh, he was actually a good man. And, you know, this Vince then says, oh, he should receive the highest honor or whatever because whatever he lost his life and whatever so that i could be with you and boom there you go that's that's how you resolve this love triangle but you know like you guys mentioned before this love triangle was clearly like a studio note that was thrust upon (laughs) ukisaku and he didn't want to do it and so he just put it into the script that he already had and didn't want to rewrite things to adapt to that part of it yeah and then when it came time to release it in japan he was like fuck this <laughs> took it out, all stuff out. <laughs> well i think that's actually a pretty good segue into something that uh bird has like that bird's going to talk about with some of the themes of the movie because i i think reading the movie through this next little piece is makes it actually fairly interesting especially with how they how the movie ends with Franken coming out on top so this is one of those things where, you know, Fukusaku is, you know, he's he's long past. And this is also a movie that, you know, I mean, yeah, people know it because it's, you know, a B-movie from back in the day and it's got that kitsch value. But, you know, I don't think anyone really cares enough to, like, try and get to the bottom of, of it <laughs> or, you know, what the intentions were when it was made. And if they even if they did, I don't even know how many people you could talk to. Uh, you know, everyone's dead now. Um but Fukusaku has, has, has said, um, I think I first read this in Stewart's book, Monsters Are Attacking Tokyo, but he said, you know, when he got the green slime, he was interested in playing it up as an allegory for Vietnam, uh, which was, you know, this was 1968. Um, that is all that anyone seems to know about yeah, like that. As far as I know, that's never been elaborated on or asked about further. Um, a lot of it, it, a lot of people assume, um, though, that any kind of political overtones or whatever, um, MGM just said, you know, no, don't don't do that. Um, so this is just a theory and an interpretation. But uh, you know, I I was like trying to figure out, like, has anyone like tried to look at the movie with this read on it the only one 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 i found one guy that tried to (laughs) (laughs) that tried to 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 kind of figure that out like um and that's from the the review blog 1000 misspent hours um i don't know if you guys are familiar with that i am okay um and, and you know instead of just uh you know uh uh what's the word i'm even looking for um i'm I'm, uh, paraphrasing you know what they said I'll, i'll just read the quote from from their entry on the green slime um uh looking at the uh well yeah so this like i said this is the only person that i i've seen even try to take his claims about vietnam allegory seriously um but 
So it says, look at the, looking at the green slime in the light of the Vietnam War, a protagonist who makes the, things catastrophically worse at every turn, who never seems to learn a goddamn thing from any of his mistakes, or even to recognize that he has made any mistakes to learn from, and who tries to smooth things over in the end by making heroes of the people he fatally fucked over now that they're all too dead to tell their side of the story, makes a twisted kind of sense. Conventional wisdom has it that... Whatever serious subtext Fukusaku attempted to work into the green slime was scuppered by the American producers who just wanted a fun, flashy movie to show to the drive-in circuit. But a close, hard look at Commander Rankin makes it as easy to conclude that some of that stuff managed to seek through, sneak through anyway. Focusing on Rankin as the embodiment of orphaned social commentary makes watching the green slime an even more delirious experience than it would have been anyway. Um... <laughs> Like I said, I mean, I, you know, all these people are dead now. Uh, so who knows how much of that is, uh, is, you know, relating to his, his idea of tying it into Vietnam. But I do happen to, I do, I do enjoy that interpretation. What do you guys think? Uh, it yeah, makes I, a I, lot of sense. It does. It makes me appreciate the movie even more because I think it explains rankin's character in such a better way than him just being an a-hole and in this case it actually gives some pretty horrifying meat to the movie that like you're just not expecting especially you know in this kind of movie it it does like um if you're familiar with like the pre-code like horror movies from you know the 40s and 50s or um like they always tried to like sneak in things past the sensors or or similar to um even some of the stuff that like honda does in um some of his early films like stuff that like you know just sneaking in like a sly little jab somewhere um like there's his war movie farewell rabal where there's a, a female character who has a korean name and you know she works in this bar to kind of like entertain the soldiers and it's like they never come out and say like, oh, this is a comfort woman, but it's like put two and two together. It's like, duh, you know, it's just like, you know, he probably couldn't say that at the time that movie was made. So he's like, well, here's here's something, you know, uh, so I, I do wonder if like maybe this was his way of being like, OK, the 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 producers, they don't want me to get all political. So like, here's 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 well, yeah, where I, can and, I mean, manipulate this and sneak it in. Pinning it back like way back to when we were talking about every everything Rankin is told not to do or is told not told but like you know people say should we maybe do this instead i think this might be a better idea and he does the opposite one of the one of the things that that i mentioned was you know they're like hey maybe we should you know try to study this thing and and try to figure out how to trap it and how to figure out how to how to with, approach it without violence and, and, you know, not just shoot it. And he shoots it and it's bloodshed creates more green slime. I mean, that's a very, he is America. The green slime are, you know, like the Viet Cong, the more we escalate our attack, the more people become sympathetic to their plight and join them, you know? That's a, that's a that's a pretty clear metaphor if you're looking for it at that point. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's unfortunately that no one cared enough to, like, you know, ask him more about it. But I could see that as being, like, very, you know, sly, sneaky subtext. That he's like, okay, they don't want me to, like, make a big deal out of it, but I'm gonna... I'm gonna do something, <laughs> you know? Um, but, yeah, Rankin is the worst, and, uh... <laughs> He's... The movie's hilariously 60s, though. Like, yeah, like not just the the filmmaking, which we've touched on, but like, I love, I love that, you know, the the movie's presupposition about the future is that we're gonna be living on space stations wearing go go boots, yeah, <laughs> and like having just like 60s, you know fun parties in outer space just all the time. <laughs> you know, I also wonder, um, this movie and probably, um, probably the, the Gamma One movies, um, I wonder, like, uh, well, I guess this is a year after, but uh, the Gamma One movies, I wonder, uh, how much influence they might have had on, like, um, the X from Outer Space. I haven't seen the Gamma One movies, but I'm assuming at least, like, aesthetically they have some similarities to the Green Slime. But, uh, you know, the X from Outer Space also has, like, that kind of, like, jazzy 60s thing, and, you know, the characters are on the... Um, they're on the AAB Gamma, and, uh, you know, there's scenes where they're, like, you know having their cocktail parties and, <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just, it, that's just like funny. I mean, but, but at the same time, it's also just kind of interesting that, you know, most, most sci-fi movies from the fifties and sixties are, are kind of like sausage fests. Like there's, there's, <laughs> There's like never women on these missions or in these space stations. And this like this just depicts this space station as being like a like a like an actual just like like a normal city. You <laughs> yeah. know, like they're they don't all appear to be all military conscripts and scientists and you know, like they're just they're just up there having a party in outer space. <laughs> It's just it's just kind of interesting. I don't I don't know that it that it says anything about the movies, you know, sexual politics or anything like that, especially with the way Rankin treats <laughs> the main <laughs> actress. Um, although you could probably read some stuff into that if you wanted to, uh, especially since she just is constantly like telling him to just piss off. <laughs> yeah, she like um, hates him. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I just, I just think it's an interesting piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting flavor. Yeah. Uh, that's the green, the, the, this, the, it is, I am glad that this, uh, you know, this movie is still something that, you know, every now and then people will revisit. Like, I like that it has a, a good Blu-ray that's in print, um, I was reading an interview. Is it still in print? Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, Warner Archive is like, uh, the, eventually I think they're going to stop putting out titles, but 
the, the, I, they'll they'll remain the ones they've released will remain in print, I believe. Um, I mean, I would still say like get it anyway because stuff goes out of print at the drop of a hat yeah. now. Um, uh, to to be the toy guy here, there is actually a green slime toy for like twenty five bucks, and it frankly is pretty awesome. Of course, there is. Are there a couple? Yeah, I was just talking about one you can get like now, not two million dollars. Like the toys. Uh, Yeah, there's a few that like if I was a toy person, you know how like it seems like every like kaiju toy guy has like a couple monsters that they like routinely collect. I feel like if I was one of those guys, the green slime would be like one of those. Like that and the oily maniac side by side. Is there an oily maniac yeah, toy? Exactly. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm not surprised, but but, but that <laughs> that is very funny. Um, I also saw a scan of I guess there was a manga adaptation, and and the green slime looked less like they do in the movie, and a little bit more like. If you've seen the movie Monsters vs. Aliens, there's like the little one-eyed yeah. blob guy. They like <laughs> the manga version like looked almost like like that instead. Okay, so I'm not um, crazy. There is an Oily Maniac toy, and you can have it for the low low price of like three hundred dollars. You know. Uh, well, I mean, to kaiju collectors, that's like what like five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> somehow i don't know how they have all this disposable income but it, that seems like it that seems on the lower end of what uh <laughs> what typically gets thrown around um but yeah the green slime this this movie uh it just doesn't it, it i'm glad it's one of those b movies that doesn't seem like it's like going away you know it just seems like it's always somewhere where you can watch it um, so I would recommend picking up the disc. I, I, I was reading an interview with, uh, uh, Luciana, uh, Pelusi just recently, like before we were like, you know, when we were getting ready to do this podcast and she said, you know, cause you know, she's an older genre star now. So she's like on the convention circuit and she was absolutely puzzled because she said, you know, Thunderball is the thing that most people come up to me with their posters, their DVDs, you know, their their 8x10 photos, and I signed Thunderball stuff. She said, by far, the, the second most signed, the second, the movie that she signs, like, the second most amount of stuff for was The Green Slime. And she was like, I don't, like, she's like, I've done so many movies all around the world, and for some <laughs> reason, <laughs> this this one is one that people are constantly come and talk to me about so it's it's out there it's 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 got its fan base which uh is good that not to not to keep this conversation going too too long um but stuff like that kind of speaks to maybe why movies like this don't happen so much anymore because nobody wants to Nobody who wants who wants to really try to make it as an actor wants to tie themselves to a thing like this anymore because it it sticks with you, you know? Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm sure 
in, you know, 1968, you know, I mean, within the 10 years or so, I mean, when Matt and I interviewed Linda Miller, we talked to her about the green slime and she said, you know, the environment was very different from King Kong Escapes because King Kong Escapes, it was like very, very few egos. Everyone was kind of like a big family uh, with, you know, both the American and Japanese people on the set. But the green slime, it was like, you know, you know, Robert Horton was kind of like you know, kind of felt like he was above it. And uh, Luciani, uh, Luciana Pelusi was kind of, you know, a, more of like a prima donna. You know, she was like the big star at the time coming off Thunderball. And and so, yeah, I'm sure if you talk to her like back then, she'd be like, oh, God, don't, <laughs> don't just don't don't talk to me. But but, you know, it, but it is it is. I don't know. I think it's actually a little bit humbling when, you know, these these people in their older age realize how important these movies are to people um like very famously russ tamblin you know for the longest time i don't even think he ever even saw war of the gargantuas and was very dismissive of it but then he started going to like fan screenings and like he had like he tells a story about like uh meeting devo the band and and you know mark uh I think it was Mark Mothersbaugh said, you know, hey, you're in my one of my absolute favorite movies. And Russ Tam's like, oh, he's going to say West Side Story. It's what everyone says. It's like War of the Gargantuas. And he's like, what? <laughs> um, and, and Rhodes Reason, his attitude was very similar with King Kong Escapes until he attended a screening of it at G-Fest. And what, people were like, he was like, oh, wow, this is actually like really fun. So. Yeah, I think I think some of these people, you know, once their star shine wears off and they do interact with fans of these movies, they realize like, oh, these are important to people like the, these mean something to someone. So, yeah, I, I you know, I'm trying to think of a, a similar comparison now, like. What's like something dumb <laughs> that like someone was in uh, at one point, like. I don't know. I don't know. Will, um, will Robert I'm Pattinson come, to come around up with on Twilight example. eventually? No. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's one, that's one where, you know, that was, those were paycheck movies, and, and you know, he very smartly calculated their success <laughs> to where he can basically be in anything now and never have to worry about star power again, but... Um, but, yeah, you know, I mean, the... Oh, I think that... There is one. I th Jurassic. It's either Jurassic or Triassic something, but it was like a not a made for sci-fi. I don't think it was made for sci-fi, but it's one of the very first things Amelia Clark was in, you know, um, before Game of Thrones. So I'm sure if I like walked up to her and was like, hey, Amelia, will you sign my Jurassic whatever DVD? She'd be like, uh, why do you have this? <laughs> You know, whereas, you know, fast forward 50 years or something and she's 80 and at a convention, she might be like, oh, I sort of remember doing like, that. Uh, Matthew McConaughey and was it Renee Zellweger in what, Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, yeah, Texas Chainsaw. They do not uh, have four, that attitude. Which McConaughey, so yeah, yeah, McConaughey seems like more OK with it now. I think it's like his people telling yes. him, like, shut yeah. up about this. And Zellweger just like she she will she's she basically wants didn't nothing they, to like, do with it um, didn't they demand to not have their names like advertised on the yeah. the cover of the movie yeah. when it was yep. released <laughs> yep yeah 
you know, it's interesting. Um, I had heard rumors that that was uh, Denise Richards' uh, attitude towards Tammy and the T-Rex. Maybe at one point it was, you know, off of, you know, Starship Troopers, Wild Things, like when she was like this huge actress. Maybe it was. I don't know. I don't know that that's ever been like confirmed. Um, but she has an interview on the Tammy and the T-Rex Blu-ray that Vinegar Syndrome put out. And I guess they were kind of like afraid to ask her to talk about it. So, uh, so like they kind of like worked it out with her people. And I guess her people like are either just really cool or maybe they know she's cool about it or whatever. But they were like, can you just tell Denise like to come in? We want to interview her about, you know, a movie she did. Um you know, a little while back, and they didn't really say what movie, and she walked in, and they were like, yeah, we want to ask you about Tammy and the T-Rex. And, like, they were surprised that she was just, like, kind of like, that's weird, but okay, I'm here. Like, ask me. <laughs> so, I, I, I think sometimes it's also, like, their people, like, their agents are trying to, like, don't don't say that you're in there, <laughs> yeah. you know? I remember there was, which which Halloween movie is it that, that has Paul Rudd? Uh, six. Yeah. Six? that six yeah i remember there was like a reunion some convention was doing like a reunion a big halloween six reunion thing and they announced paul rudd and then like maybe even later the same day like he just quietly disappeared (laughs) from from that like guest listing and so i'm imagining like maybe he was like oh yeah sure i'll do it and then like you know his people were like yeah marvel don't (laughs) Yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I could see his people being like, "You want you want to be in uh, you want to renew for another Ant Man? No, you're <laughs> not doing that." I could see that too. You know, a, um, a, a fairly good example is um, Meryl Streep, who's you know known as like the greatest actress of all time, right? Is in Death Becomes Her, which is a goofy outrageous comedy and and a movie that i i really really like the effects work in that movie is fantastic and it'd be a good movie to watch for halloween out there if you're if you're looking for suggestions but um it flopped right and it was not well received and everything but uh she has defended it repeatedly over the course of her career and she she you know, has said that she really embraces it and and likes it. So, you know, there's one. That cast is awesome, yeah. by the way. Okay, like, I heard, I I heard again. I, you know, I don't know that the you know rumors about famous people are everywhere. Who knows how true they are? But I heard that like if you even like mention Leprechaun, like Jennifer Aniston will like yes, walk out of her. I've room. heard that too. <laughs> if I don't know, I feel like if I was one of these guys, I'd be like, yeah, like I was in this dumb old movie, and like I don't know. There's, that's a, awesome. there's a point <laughs> where there's the, the pogo stick kill because he's like singing the pogo stick song when he's jumping on the dude. That's the thing. There's I there's, there's probably a point where you want to try to distance yourself from it like i understand paul rudd not doing halloween six stuff right now you know he's he's ant-man he's at like the height of his career you you don't want to get conflated with the curse of michael myers at this moment in your career (laughs) but like ah 
maybe this is wrong. Like, I feel like Jennifer Aniston is past that moment. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is so like how out of touch I am just in general, but also just with how uh, there's streaming stuff everywhere. Like, I guess she has yeah. like a show with Reese. I think with Reese Witherspoon, I'm like, yeah, what? But- I, and it's like been around for a while. So I don't know. I don't know how popular like she is. No, I know she's got this show and I know it's, it's being advertised and people are talking about it a little bit, but come on. You've, that's the interesting thing, though. In in twenty years, if Jennifer Aniston does a convention, it's like, hey, sign my leprechaun. I'll, I'll do a leprechaun <laughs> panel. She's gonna have a shit ton of people lined up to sign, have her sign their leprechaun posters. No one's gonna be there, being like, oh, here, sign my rumor has it poster. <laughs> you know, I. No one that that's true. Like no one is going to be doing that. So it's like, yeah, once you're older and it's like, you know, you're your gigs dry up, like, don't forget those little genre movies because those are the ones that have the diehard fans and, you know, uh, some rom-com you did in the in the 90s that played in multiplexes, you know, no one's going to remember that, but they'll remember you Bird, fight Bird's the leprechaun. Bird's going to go get DiCaprio to sign Critter, a Critters 3 DVD. Yeah, when DiCaprio's <laughs> 80, if he does, like, a convention, I guarantee you there will be people with Critters stuff <laughs> for him to sign. So, yeah. I would love a signed um, Critters 3 DVD from DiCaprio. <laughs> I love Critters. Um, How many, right, uh, well, so let's get back think, to Game think... Slime. How many uh, bumbling kids in monster costumes out of five? Would you give? Uh, I give it a three and a half. I really think it's fun, and I really like the goofy, kitschy, um, just the goofy, kitschy B moviness of it is so sixties and so aesthetically appealing to me. Also, um, I love the the goofy little monsters. I mean, they're silly, but they're just so cool. Um, the middle act, uh, I think kind of, um, is a little clumsily paced and kind of plods along, but, uh, you know, I mean, but it, it all ties together really nicely, um, with, with a cool third act and, um, yeah, I, I dig this movie. It's one that I've always liked, but I don't watch enough, so I, I should get it more in my rotation, but, uh, it's a three and a half. I'm going to go next because I think Tom likes it a bit more than me. Um. So I'm giving this a three out of five, but I do think it's trending upwards. The stuff that I don't like is kind of the stuff we've talked about. I, I think the, the romantic subplot is kind of a, it, it drags the movie down. The middle part, the, the middle act of the film kind of does plod. Um, I think there's, there were better ways to maybe use the monsters and you could have changed some things around to make them a bit more effective. But like overall, I do think it's fun. And I also think upon future viewings, I'll probably have more fun. But I'm at a at a recommended three out of five. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm at three and a half violations of child labor law out of five. <laughs> uh, it's 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 fun. It's bright and colorful. Like that's that's something we we didn't talk too much about. Is it's a it's a very like 
we talked about, you know, the lighting is not always great for showing off the monsters, but in general, it's a very colorful and bright kind of movie. So that's really a cool aspect of it. I really like uh, the first half hour when they're on the the asteroid is really cool, like old school science fiction type of stuff that and and it reminds me a lot of those kinds of movies, too, where. You know, you start off with we need to go to the moon or we need to go to space, whatever, do something. And then there's like this almost this weird other plot that gets tacked onto that. Similar to like the X from outer space. Uh, but yeah, you know, it does drag at times and and especially in that middle third area. And as we mentioned, you know, with the with the love triangle being kind of thrust upon Fukusaku the ending doesn't come together the way it could have without that being present. I think it would just work better. Like the ending itself would work better without that even really being in there. But no, this is, this is a lot of fun and it's something that I think this was like my third or fourth time watching. So I, yeah, I'm at a three and a half out of five. Someone should make a fan edit that's just the Japanese version, but with the American theme song at the beginning. Someone call Topher Grace. And that <laughs> <laughs> that's just our solution to everything when something like this comes up. Yes, if Topher Grace can just uh, slap the American uh, title sequence in front of the Japanese cut, that would probably be your the ideal green slime experience. Um, anyway, that's the green slime. Uh, check it out. This is a good movie that, uh, if you're having like a Halloween party or something, this is like a perfect movie to just throw on in the background. Um, it has like a Halloween party vibe to it is like, I don't know how else to explain it, but, um, this is one that, you know, I've, I've put on at Halloween parties before and it just always like just ties the event together. Um, Anyway, I guess no one thinks that's that interesting. <laughs> I don't think we know what parties are like so in the well. era of COVID. Like, I know people are doing them kind of again, but like. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anyone's having a Halloween party, hopefully you're vaccinated and put on the green slime in the background. That's, that's, that, that's a good one to put on there. Um, all right, let's, let's get out of here because we have other shit to do. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.